When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Bill Maher brings political comedy to MGM National Harbor near Washington, D.C. this Saturday night. He called in to discuss his career from politically incorrect to real time with Bill Maher, as well as offering predictions for the 2024 presidential election, which he predicts will be Biden versus Trump part two. Hey, Bill Maher. Hey, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP in Washington, D.C. Pleasure, Jason. Always a pleasure to come to D.C. Yeah, it's going to be at MGM National Harbor. I guess technically over the over the river in Maryland, but it's it's right on the right. You can see D.C. from the from the venue, man. It's going to be Saturday, April twenty second, and like you said, you're you're going to be coming to the nation's capital at probably one of the most politically charged times in American history. I mean, the former president just got indicted for for Pete's sake. So, I mean, how do you keep? I mean, are you rewriting material like right up to the minute you get on the stage? Pretty much. Uh, that's one of the great things I love about doing stand-up still is that, you know, other people who do observational stuff, and I do some of that too. I mean, my act isn't just all political. But, um, you know, I, I have the luxury of being able to have a constantly changing flow of material. Um, so I don't have to be sitting in a diner looking at the ketchup bottle going, what's funny about this? <laughs> you know, well, <laughs> or in walk. the case of the former guy, the ketchup bottles getting thrown against the wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, you know, just uh, the having the, the great luxury of letting the players in Washington change all the time and buy uh, new material. And, and, you know, I think people just need a release. I think they need to uh, have somebody out there kind of expressing what they're thinking. Absolutely. I know. And we have listeners of all stripes that listen to us, of course. But let's speak to uh, for maybe the more liberal listeners. We'll get to the conservatives in a second. But um, what sort of material? I assume there's some really juicy Trump indictment or January 6th stuff in there. It's got to be there. I mean, it's topic number one right now. Of course. Well, I mean, look, I thought I was going to be done with Trump, but you're never done with Trump. It's so interesting. I talk to my liberal friends about him and the first thing they always say is, uh, well, maybe he'll die. Like, that's a plan. Uh, first of all, he'll never die. He's a city roach. They, they don't die. The worse he treats himself, the stronger he gets, apparently. So I wouldn't count on that. Um, and, you know, I don't think anyone was harder on Donald Trump. He's constantly insulting me in his rallies to this day, uh, which I take as a badge of honor. So, um, look, I wanted to be done with him. I thought we did all the jokes we could do about him. But, look, he's going to be the nominee for the Republican Party next time for president, I, I would bet my house on it. So, and and of course he could win the election again. I, I don't think he will fairly, but it doesn't matter with him because he doesn't uh, abide by whether he wins or loses. This is the problem with this guy. 
So we're stuck with them at least for another couple of years. And as long as we're stuck with them, yes, I'm going to be making fun of him. I like that you said he will never die. Because, you know, if he ever did, he would still just double down <laughs> afterward. Uh, well, what? He wouldn't admit it. You wouldn't admit it was rigged. My death was rigged. But seriously, though, you actually believe, I guess I've seen you make that prediction on your show, too. But you believe that DeSantis, all these people just get squashed by him. You think he's the, the front runner? Especially now that they've indicted him for this case in New York. Yes, it just makes him into to a martyr. I think it was a giant mistake to go after him for this. I mean, he's they could have and they are going after him but with other cases that are obviously much more relevant. I mean, the one in Georgia where he asked somebody to find votes of uh, the insurrection, the, uh, the basically trying to overthrow the government and then a coup. I mean, it, they have areas to go after him in. To, 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 to bring this case, which the people in this country do not do nuance. They're just going to see it the way they saw Clinton in 1998. Oh, you couldn't get him on anything else, so you went after him for the easy one. Alpha males put their penis where it shouldn't belong. Big deal. Anybody could do that. That's what it's going to look like. That's what it looks like already. There, people are not going to look into the the small permutations of campaign finance law and bookkeeping. That's what it's going to look like to people. He's, they just made him stronger again. They absolutely handed him the nomination with this indictment. I'm sure the biggest disappointment Trump had the other day when he was arraigned was that they didn't do a mugshot. He would have loved that mugshot. It would have been everybody's coffee cup. It would have been on T-shirts. This is their martyr. They brought him in for this. So he's definitely going to be the Republican nom nominee. I will, I would again bet my house on that. And I certainly was the only one who was right way back in 2016 when I said this guy will never ever concede an election. And that's how it happened. And it's going to happen again. Wow. And then who's he going to, I mean, who will he be going up against? I mean, is Biden going to, he hasn't officially declared again, I guess, yet. But I mean, where? Yeah, are, look, you know, everyone's talking about how Biden is too old. It's funny. This poor Joe cannot win. It's, it's un. It's unbelievable. If you ask Democrats, like, how do you think Biden has done? Oh, he's done great. You know, got us out of Afghanistan, handled Ukraine well, uh, all that great money he put toward climate change uh, programs. Uh, good. OK, so should he run again? Absolutely not. I mean, how does this guy win? Look, has he done everything great? No. Do I love everything he's done? Of course not. Are there moments that make me cringe? Yeah, like when he speaks. But, you know, basically... He's done fine, and he's brought us back to normality. And you don't have to be the most energetic guy to be the leader. Every civilization seems to have gotten this basic concept that eludes America, which is, yes, he's an elder. That's who has the wisdom, the elders. You go to the elder and you say, oh, great wise one, you have seen everything. How should we handle this? And then he gives broad strokes, and younger, more energetic people carry it out. This isn't that hard. I mean, he fell off his bike. So what? Can you imagine Trump's fat ass even on a bike? It looked like something out of a Mexican circus. <laughs> so uh -huh. I think he's done fine. You know, is he anybody's first choice? No. I always say, Joe's like non-dairy creamer, you know? Nobody's first choice, but he gets the job done. And I don't see anybody else out there who guarantees that they could beat Trump. And, you know, when it comes down to it, people get in the voting booth. They don't vote for the guy they like. They vote against the guy they hate more. That's how America works. That's how the two-party system works. It's a crummy system, but it's our system. It's not going to change before 2024. 
So, you know, Biden has beat him once. He would beat him again. Then comes the fun part where Trump doesn't concede the election. And hopefully this time he won't have more people in power. He tried it last time. He just didn't have Republicans in power who are willing to sell their country down the river. Uh, he's been busy behind the scenes trying to make that happen for the next election. So it should be fun in 2025. I, I think you just called it. Well, let's see. Let's see if we have some, if we do have some, maybe a couple uh, conservative listeners here, what might they relate to in your, in your act? You know, where, where do Democrats overreach in your mind that maybe becomes a part of your routine? Oh, plenty of stuff. I mean, look, people say to me all the time these days, you know, in the last few years anyway, like, why do you make fun of the left more than you used to? Because you're more ridiculous than you used to be. Because didn't have wokeness five years ago. Wokeness, which started out as something valid, you know, it used to mean just alert to injustice, which we all are behind, or we should be. But then it became an eye roll. And it wasn't building on liberalism. It very often became the opposite of liberalism. Um, I mean, there are, there are colleges now who put out lists of words that you can't say, like, you know, uh, master bedroom, and peanut gallery, and uh, white paper, and insane. You can't say insane? That's insane. Uh, homeless, you know, has to be uh, people experiencing homelessness. Uh, virgin, you can't say virgin. That's, that's people experiencing not getting laid. I, I, don't, I don't know what these people are thinking of, but there's just way too much identity politics, uh, oversensitivity, um, victimization, um, pointless uh, white self-loathing that doesn't help anybody or lift anybody up. Liberalism was about lifting people up. Wokeism seems to be about catching people at doing something. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to criticize and make fun of. And again, I'm a comedian. I where the funny is. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAP podcast.com i'm bradley trainer and i'm don mcclain we have a podcast called blinded by the item a blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out it's a guessing game and you can play along the item might be like this a-list star carries a birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. Well, let's speaking of where the funny is, I want to um, remind our listeners a little bit of your career trajectory. I know you're born in New York, but like, who were your comedy idols growing up? Were there anyone that, that really like inspired you to get into this whole racket to begin with? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, Johnny Carson, you know, when I was a kid, people my age will remember he was the kind of the lord of comedy. Um, and I tried to see that show every night, even if I had to sneak it because it was on late. And then as far as like the kind of stand up I do, um, that would be more like Robert Klein and George Carlin. I mean, they were the men. They were the they were the guys back then. I mean, so 
um, there are different kinds of styles. On my TV show, I'm more Johnny Carson. Um, but stand-up, I'm more like Carlin and, and Klein, or at least I try to be. Yeah. Didn't you start at, um, what was that famous, uh, Catch a Rising Star in the late 70s? Yeah. You were like a host? Yeah. You were hosting there? Well, yeah, I started like in 1980, really was my first real year in comedy. So it's been a while. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, you you wanted to be the MC because the MC was kind of City Hall. You know, I mean, that was the guy who made the decisions about who went on stage. You got all the stage time you wanted. You went on between every act. All we were looking for back then was stage time. You know, that's how you got better. The more time you were on stage. So, um, yeah, that was, uh, oh, my God. I'm sure that club doesn't even exist anymore. It's probably a honey-baked ham or something right now. But um, it sure was a great place in a great, at, a, at a great time. I mean, that was when comedy clubs were ascendant in this country, when there was this new thing called the Urban Comedy Club. Before that, comics started to, like in the Catskills and stuff. I mean, that was the old Borscht Belt. But, uh, you know, it just fostered a whole generation of different kind of comedy. And, uh, yeah, and now there's zillions of them. Yeah, you you said Carson was one of your idols growing up. What was it like to finally get to go on that show? And then, of course, Letterman and all those. But, like, getting to do those those appearances. And did, were you ever called over to the couch? Like, I want to know some good Carson stories. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I, I did, like, 35 Johnny Carson shows in the 80s. I mean, that was my, that was my whole life in the 80s was, like, <clears throat> you know, trying to get on Johnny Carson as much as I could. And, I, you know, I mean, luckily he liked me. Um, <clears throat> I remember one time I did these Reagan jokes when Reagan was president and Fred DeCordova, who was the producer of the show, did not like that at all because he, he was the director of Bedtime for Bonzo. I'm not kidding. <laughs> so the fact that I was making fun of Reagan did not sit well. I remember I got yelled at after the show and I thought, oh, I'm definitely done. I'm, you know, I will never be back here. So all I can think of is there was only one person who could save my ass after that. And that was Johnny Carson himself. He liked me. Um, yeah, I was on the couch, I don't know, dozens of times. And uh, he liked it when you were a little cheeky, you know? <laughs> you were, were never jumping on the couch, though, like Tom Cruise. Though. I was, no, seated. no, that's a different show in a different era. <laughs> well, tell me about how did Politically Incorrect come about? Because it was Comedy Central and I guess it was ABC too, right? But I remember, wow, the first episode was, oh, well, like was Seinfeld and Robin Quivers. And there was a big Larry Miller. Like, um, But how did that come about? Well, I mean, I was—I uh, had done mostly sitcoms <clears throat> in the '80s. We all, when we started it back then, we wanted to be on a sitcom. That was like the template for how you get going in show business. You do the Johnny Carson show a bunch of times, then people see you on the Carson show and they give you a sitcom because we had seen that happen to Robin Williams and Roseanne and people like that. That—that that was what they did back then. They—they—they they, they molded a sitcom on your Freddie Prince, another one, on your comic persona as a stand-up. So I did sitcoms in the 80s, and, you know, it was fun. I was 20s, you know, it was it was exciting. I was in California, I was in show business, you know. It really wasn't my destiny. So when that kind of came to an end, I had done three or four of them, and I didn't really want to be the office creep for the rest of my life. And <clears throat> all my sitcoms got canceled, so it wasn't really a problem I had. And I always knew I wanted to do something with news. So luckily, uh, Comedy Central, which was new, 
in the early 90s was looking for some programming. They had nothing and they were willing to listen to ideas. And so it just started. We we had like, you know, 0.2 of a rating, but we got a lot of press because it was new and it was different. Nobody had ever done a, a talk show where the host was giving his opinions. The template for all of them, Carson, Letterman, Leno, was always, you don't tell them what your political opinions are because you'll alienate half the audience. But I said, let's give it a try, because in real life, people can understand when they don't agree with you and still like you. That, by the way, is what this country needs to get back to, is understanding that you don't have to agree with everybody on anything or make them agree with you. Everybody needs to shut up in this country about their political opinions. 24-7, everything on Facebook. Stop arguing with people. You're not going to convince them anyway. And if you don't agree on everything, so what? It's a big country with lots of people who don't think like you. Get over it. And I think I proved that with Politically Incorrect. I gave my opinions first and foremost every show, and it didn't alienate the audience at all. We did very well. Even after we were canceled after 9-11, the ratings never went down. People still wanted to watch that show. And it was on ABC for six years after the three years on Comedy Central. So, um, you know, people can hear things they don't agree with and still get along. We need to get back to that. That's my message for today. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, and, and that brings us full circle then to, to, you know, I guess your show right after that was Real Time with Bill Maher on HBO. I'll never forget it. I guess it started in what, 03, which I'll, I'm going to date myself, but I, that was the year I graduated high school, just to give you an idea of yeah. <laughs> the formative age that you started corrupting me on that. <laughs> oh, good. But Iraq War was around that time. I guess we had sort of the yeah, build, up exactly. to, build up to Obama was about to happen in those coming years. So it was a very pivotal right. time in our country's history but um just talk about you know the secret of success to keep that going i mean it's been uh the new rules segment is like an institution <laughs> of its own but um man i mean congrats on the on the run how, how have you kept it going all these years well i mean yeah it's been we're in our 21st season i mean how do you keep it going you work um i mean look i came to it with some things that i think other people weren't lucky enough to have which is my father newsman so news was always in our house um so i just from the get-go um had that sort of in my blood and you know he was funny and i was always wanting to be a comedian i knew i was going to be a comedian when i was eight years old so funny plus news it was sort of inevitable that i would do that so i had that sort of experience in my background and then by the time i got to um do real time i'd already had nine years on politically incorrect so I had a lot of experience there. And then, uh, you know, I'm a worker. I always was. I mean, you got to put in the time. Um, you know, I do a podcast now called uh, Club Random, which I love. But it's the exact opposite of what my show is in the sense that it's not really political. I do zero amount of preparation. I very often barely know who the guest is. I just sit and get high with people like I do in my real life. That's the opposite of real time on HBO. That's on a premium cable network. They pay me a lot of money to do it. And I put in the time. I mean, it takes like that ending you talked about, new rules with my editorial at the end, just that editorial, which takes about eight to 10 minutes to deliver. Probably, I probably put in 20 hours a week finishing it, writing it. So, I mean, that's the, there's no secret, you know, perspiration. 
Absolutely. And new, I mean, new rules is great. And I just want to give a shout out to the, your theme music on that show. It's badass. When that kicks in there, the bump, 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 you know, yeah, what that's, I mean? you know, that's green day. Is it green day? Seriously? Green day did our, does our theme song. Yeah. I never realized that. Well, there you go. Yeah. To all the American idiots watching. The- <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you've been more than generous with your time. Again, everyone, Bill Maher is coming to MGM National Harbor Saturday, April 22nd. Anything else you want to say? Invite him on out? No, you did good, Jason. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.